Welcome to Roxy's Banging Podcast. I will talk about sex with you and I will go deep. Oh. Hey guys, welcome to Roxy's Banging Podcast. Welcome to my most intimate and personal world. Today, I'm not going to answer your questions, even though I have received a lot of amazing questions. I think the most interesting and something that I will make a video about was um, I posted a sex video on my OnlyFans and I always, you know, talk a little bit about the story, how it happened, because it's rarely just... I'm meeting another porn star and we make a porn. No, it's guys that I've been with that I know that I have some special connection with or some bond. And in this case, it was extremely beautiful because I did fall in love with this guy and he fell in love with me and we had a beautiful romance. And after we met... And I think many of you know that I haven't had much sex in over a year because, you know, I was healing and focusing on myself and I, my libido was quite low as well. So when I met him and I really liked him, we had sex 12 times in 24 hours. So much that I got sore and everything. And then after that, we just spent 10 days together. We didn't leave each other's side for a minute. Uh, so beautiful yeah so and but that sex that was so amazing it was tantric sex without us trying to have tantric sex you know we didn't do any specific uh, exercises or techniques we were just so conscious and aware and read each other's body language and we were breathing and yeah it was absolutely mind-blowing so I said that it was the best sex I had in a very long time, maybe some of the best sex I had ever. So one question was, what made it so special? What exactly was different? So I sat down with him and we talked about it and we tried to figure out what can we teach other people about how we treat each other and have sex with each other and make love to each other. And there is actually a few things that are quite different, and I'm going to tell you about them. But not in this podcast, no, no. Um, my last article was about pedophilia, and I will have a podcast about pedophilia, but not now. The article got a lot of negative reaction, which I knew it would. And I can totally understand. I'm not always as logical, rational, controversial. Sometimes I do get emotional myself. And of course, that is a very, very sensitive topic. And I could look at the world and look at the fact that pedophilia exists and the fact that there are so many pedophiles out there and it could shatter me, you know? It could break me because it's disgusting. It's horrible. It's fucking shit. 
I'm, I'm saying in my article that it's a mistake in the human design. What is it exactly? It's like the devil's work, right? It's us being bad. But we are bad, aren't we? Look at what we do to the planet, to animals, to people. But then I can also just try not be emotional about it and say, hey, okay, this does exist. What can we do about it? And I find this way a lot easier. Today, I'm going to read a different article to you. I'm going to read my abortion article out loud. And even if you have read it already, it's going to be a different experience listening to me. I will read it like I would tell the story to you with all my emotions. And if you haven't read the article, then this is going to be very interesting. I had my abortion three years ago. I wrote the article one and a half years ago. So sometimes I will add a few things. And at the end, I will also tell you what happened after I wrote the article. Because the story doesn't stop there. And I only realized very recently, in the last weeks, that this exact abortion was responsible for the path that I was on the last three years. And it was a path of numbing myself because I didn't want to work on that trauma and of self-destruction. And self-destruction through drugs, through sex, probably to punish myself for what I have done. I, you know, I'm a very spiritual person, a very conscious person, uh, a very maternal person too. So this abortion was not an easy decision for me to make. And the healing isn't done yet either. I have just realized that I now have to work on this trauma because I haven't. I thought I had, but I hadn't. I just suppressed it. Yes. But let's begin right at the beginning of the story. This is probably one of the most difficult things I have ever written about. And although it's been a year and a half, three years, the wound has not healed. But it has, at least, been successfully repressed. Some things are better not to be thought about, I thought. Some wounds simply cannot be healed. However... Here's my story for you. And as usual, my personal abortion was a lot more weird, painful and dramatic than what most women go through. Not to belittle the painful experiences of others. Surely an abortion will always be a memory best forgotten. It's never an easy decision or experience. But it rarely goes like this. I had just arrived back in Bangkok 
after abruptly ending my studies in psychology and human kinetics and ergonomics. I had been in a relationship with a newly adopted dog, living and studying in South Africa, but I couldn't stay any longer. I couldn't continue living that life. I missed my old, happy, hippie, single life in Thailand too much. This longing haunted me in my sleep. South Africa was definitely something else. A very sad, yet beautiful country. I was living in Grahamstown. A grey, rainy place, named after a brutal colonizer. Thank God they changed that name now. And studying at Rhodes University. What a strange thing to go back to university at 28. I did love it there for a time. I loved having a purpose, a goal. I loved the knowledge I acquired, you know, wanting to be the best and achieving it. I loved making new friends and figuring out a place that was so different from anything I had ever experienced. It was dangerous. Every house had alarm systems, windows covered in burglar bars. And it was there that I learned what white privilege means. But in the end, it wasn't for me. I was in the wrong place, in a society that was too close-minded, and in a relationship that I didn't want to be in anymore. Leaving South Africa felt like breaking out of a prison I had put myself in. Leaving South Africa also meant leaving Daniel, a man that had just asked me to marry him. This was all a radical shift, but I had yet to realize what big changes awaited me. I spent the last maybe eight weeks of my stay in Grahamstown all by myself because Daniel went back to Australia to work. He ran out of money. So I spent these nights either on Ritalin in the library or fucking a handful, or actually two handfuls, of guys. I had spent a year and a half being monogamous, which is not easy for me, even though Daniel and I were in a polyamorous relationship on paper. We just never dared to actually do it, scared to hurt each other, and we were together 24-7. So let's just say I went a bit wild after he'd left. I had relatively few options in South Africa, but there was enough room to play with. Daniel and I were one of those healthy couples, yes. We trained every day, we ate clean, no drugs, no alcohol, no cigarettes. So when he left, for some reason, everything turned upside down, inside out. Life became exciting again. Wild, chaotic, toxic. I mean, how fucking good is it to be single? And in that mess... Of drugs and sex, it happened. Two condoms broke with two different guys. I mean, it does happen. Condoms do break if you're too rough or not wet enough or you ignorantly use coconut oil as a lubricant not knowing it causes condoms to break. Yeah. And then at other times you don't even put one on in the first place, right? Or the guy that fucks you from behind sneakily pulls it off. Until then, I had never gotten pregnant. Even though it could have and perhaps should have happened many times. It's pretty much a miracle that it didn't. So I thought it would stay this way. Back in Bangkok. With these two condom mishaps in mind, 
I was on my way to a clinic in Bangkok to get tested. I was shitting myself, thinking I'd caught something. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind that I could have gotten chlamydia, but I was sincerely worried having contracted HIV. When I arrived at the clinic, I found out that it was closed for a public holiday. But I felt like I needed to be proactive, do something. And I also had a bit of pain in my uterus. So I went to a 7-Eleven and bought a pregnancy test. One of those I had bought probably 50 times before. I told you I should have gotten pregnant before, right? So I pissed on it in a public toilet of a park. I didn't take it too seriously. It was more of a routine thing to do. And you know what? When I saw two pink stripes, I actually laughed and told myself it was probably a manufacturing mistake. A bit concerned, however, I did rush home to my friends where I was staying and bought another test on the way. Two stripes again. I sank into the sofa as images of last week's shenanigans fought for attention in my mind, but I couldn't really focus on anything. Only one day before, I had just come back from a crazy trip to Pattaya with some new girlfriends, where we went to a gay strip club, because, you know, we wanted to see guys, and I was called on stage. I was sat on a chair, and then ten guys with erect penises wearing cock rings circled around me, pretty much fulfilling my earliest gangbang fantasies. So there I was, in the middle, and wasted as fuck. I did what anyone would do in that moment. I took that chance and sucked them all off. Yeah. After that, we went to a normal strip club. And my friends told me that I went on stage, started dancing and hit on one of the strippers, almost to the point of harassment. And then I blacked out. I thought of a skinny, black, but very handsome and extremely smart, socio-politically active young skater kid who cheated on his girlfriend with me. When we realized the condom had broken after he came inside of me, I quickly ran to the shower to clean myself, desperately hoping it would help. And when I came back to the bedroom, he stood at the window pointing at a rainbow. Yeah. I joked and said, I feel like this is a sign a baby was just created. And then I laughed. But it wasn't all too funny anymore. I thought of my drug dealer lover and his pretty face. I always seem to go with drug dealers. He was a law student, but so high on his own supply that often I couldn't even understand what he was saying. I thought of the night I ended up in the bathtub with him and two other guys. I thought of him then fucking me in the shower and in someone's bedroom. But he took so long to come, obviously because of the coke. At some point, it felt like this never-ending story until all excitement was gone and I just wanted it to be over. Why don't we have the courage to say we don't want this anymore in those moments? Well, when it finally was over, he pulled out just to tell me that the condom broke. Oh, it didn't feel good. That moment just felt really, really dark. And I thought of Daniel who had left heartbroken in South Africa, trying to sell our car and get the papers ready for the dog we'd adopted so he could take him to Australia. Oh, I thought of all the drugs I'd taken. It was probably some of the wildest and unhealthiest few weeks of my entire life, a grand finale of self-destruction that led to... you. 
and I finally thought of you. I touched my belly and a feeling of love overcame me that cleared all other thoughts from my mind. And finally, finally I cried. Would your skin be caramel or would it be white? Would I raise you by myself on the beach in Thailand? But who would help me? How would I educate you? God, would you be healthy? Was this real? Or was it a nightmare I'd wake up from in a second? It's a strange feeling when you're at a point in your life where you only have questions and not a single answer. To be really, really sure, I went to a hospital to get, you know, a pregnancy end and every STD existing in this world test. I had to wait an hour. And when the doctor called me in, he told me he had good and bad news. Fuck. Bad news? He said, okay, the bad news is you have chlamydia. I thought, thank God. And the good news is you're pregnant. I cried again and told him he got it mixed up. Chlamydia is the good news and the pregnancy is the bad news, but he didn't get it. I listed all the drugs that I had taken in the last weeks and he promised me the baby would be fine. I didn't believe him. I got a picture of the ultrasound and a tablet against the chlamydia. And I walked home through Bangkok's smoggy, dirty streets, sweating and crying. It was real. You were real. It was a nightmare. No, hell. I was in hell. Back at the apartment, I called my mum, and her first reaction was anger. How could that have happened, she said. How could it not be Daniel's? And she did what she's always done all my life. She slut-shamed me. She probably didn't do it hoping to change me, or maybe a little bit. But I think it's just how she learned to react to an extremely sexually liberated woman. Even though she is a feminist, like you know, an alternative witch, politically, rather than sexually liberated. Maybe she hated men too much to have loads of sex with them. Or maybe she was just jealous of my sexual freedom. But it's also just her generation of oppressed women. After her sadness and anger had calmed down, she told me that although normally she wouldn't suggest it, she thought I should have an abortion. After that phone call, I was just disappointed. But I thanked her for the advice that I didn't want to hear and the insult that I really didn't need. Quite shocked, having not received what I wanted to hear, I called about six more people whose opinion I trusted, only to find out that everyone said exactly the same. I needed to have an abortion. No one believed you should be born? What the hell was wrong with them? They didn't have any faith in us. I didn't understand how they could all think like this. It's because they didn't carry you in their bloody bodies like I did. All of this while the pregnancy hormones rushed through my blood, making my skin glow, my tits swollen and sore. Everything was very soft, including my mind. I was really, really pregnant and it felt kind of good. It felt yummy. I felt so much love. 
It would be impossible to kill you, even if everyone said it was the right thing to do. I went out and bought chocolate cake and a pink dress. Might as well. This is when the most confusing and painful few days of my life began. Days of considering whether to keep a baby whose father I didn't even know or somehow find a way to have an abortion in a place where it seemed close to impossible. You know, I'm usually quite a rational and logical person. I love to debate and tend to disconnect myself or actually even disrespect my opponent the moment they become emotional. I got this horrible trait from my dad, but not for the tyrannical purposes he uses it. I aim to win the argument, and you will never find a solution unless you're as logical as possible. I should probably have finished that law degree. I'd have made a good lawyer. However, with the pregnancy hormones rushing through my pregnant body, there was no way for me to make an objective decision. I knew that. I knew it. And at the same time, I didn't know anything. I just felt pregnant. Felt love. Was it wrong to kill you? Was it selfish? Would it mean bad karma? Fuck it did. I didn't know it back then, though. Were you a sign that my life should take a big turn? Did this mean that I should be a mother now? Did you have the right to live? All I had was questions with no answers. I did not want to kill you. The thought of it was so painful. After all, you were a piece of me. You'd be a fucking great human being, I thought. A wild child with a strong spirit. Naughty as fuck. And yet, I knew it wasn't right. Neither the right time, nor the right father. I knew I was pregnant for about ten days, and during those days, as painful as most of the experience was, I had moments of absolute bliss. Bliss is not a word I overuse like many, you know, spiritual wannabes. But in this case, it's truly the most fitting word. When all the doubts and concerns about having to make a decision disappeared for some moments, I felt better than I'd ever had before. A little like a whole body orgasm on acid. Yes. I felt like my body had finally reached a state that it was craving to get to ever since puberty. From those early days, I always imagined myself being pregnant, impatiently looking forward to it. My mother is an extremely loving and maternal person, a lioness raising me by herself. Having her genes and being raised that way, it would only be natural for me to one day become a mother myself, a mother that dedicates her life to motherhood too. And then there were all those people that decided rationally for me in a situation in which I wasn't able to. And with that last bit of intelligence that remained from pre-pregnant days, I knew they must be right. Not a single person I had spoken to was for you. No one. And eventually I thought to myself, let democracy win. However amazing you'd be, they must be right. I thought I might not be able to make the right decision for myself. And I wasn't. Luke, the friend I was staying with, had probably the greatest influence. And at some point he looked at me and said, you know what you have to do. How the fuck, though? 
So I gave in. I would have an abortion. And that's when I had to realize that you can't have an abortion in Thailand. It's illegal. Great. Let's just lay another stone in my way because life wasn't difficult enough already. Suddenly this whole thing was not only emotionally but practically fucking complicated. Mission impossible. Yes, that's a mix of abortion and impossible in case you didn't get that. I honestly considered having the baby because it was easier. After a lot of research, I found one dodgy little clinic at the end of a dirty alley that did illegal abortions. I went with a friend only to hear that it was too early for me as they did not give out the abortion pill but only do the surgery. The nurse told me to wait four weeks, come back and then they could suck the baby out. I cried again and screamed at her. How the hell would it be possible to continue living with a baby growing inside of me that I knew I'd kill in four weeks? What the fuck? Later that day, Daniel called. I had spoken to him about this. And he was the only one that actually said he would support me, even if I decided to have the baby. He said he would raise it with me, even though it wasn't his. He hadn't let go of our relationship yet. Maybe he thought this would be a way to stay with me. It would have been wrong in every sense. He did, however, find the solution. He managed to get abortion pills from a clinic a few hours north of Johannesburg, where he was still stuck with the shattered pieces of an ended relationship. He told me he would hide the pills in a birthday card and send them to me. And two days later, they actually arrived. The next day, I departed for Kopangan. I didn't want to lose any time. From the moment those pills were on the way, but especially once I received them, I emotionally disconnected myself completely from my own pregnancy. You know I had to. This was the only way for me to keep on going. The trip down to the island was long and exhausting. I had Minnie with me and traveling with her is never easy. But traveling pregnant in a hot and humid country isn't easy either. But I made it. I arrived at my, back then, best friend's big, beautiful villa set in a lush garden. And I arrived on the island where I lived most of my adult years. You know, if any place in this world would be worthy of the name home, that was it. I thought to myself it would be the most perfect place to have an abortion, as ridiculous as that sounds. The image I had in my head was a lot less traumatizing, at least, than that of the dodgy Backstreet Alley Clinic in Bangkok. Once I'd put the bags down and took a few breaths of clean tropical island air, I was ready to get started. Get that baby out of me and end my fucking suffering. It was horrible having to make that decision, sure, but it was a lot worse knowing I would have to abort this potential child, my child, that was still inside of me. It took a lot of mental focus, thought control and meditation to not have a complete emotional breakdown. To pretty much block all emotions from interfering with this decision that I'd made or that had been made for me by circumstance. I took the pill and three Valium thinking it would be better if I'd sleep through the process. Yeah. This was clearly not one of my brightest moments because three hours later I woke up with a feeling far, far beyond pain. I mean, you must imagine my cervix was opening trying to give birth to a dead fetus. Dead because I had already taken progesterone pills one day earlier which kills fetuses. 
The pain was unbearable, so I started banging my head against the floor, hoping to faint. That's when my good friend Nimrod, who I was staying with, who'd also taken Valium, just because, you know, why not, slowly and grumpily woke up to call the ambulance. From that moment on, everything was blurry and all I remember was the pain, the sirens of the ambulance, loads of ties around me. It must have been very dramatic, but I was in my bubble of pain and the next thing I felt was a needle in my forearm and me drifting into a heaven-like feeling. Three, two, one. I didn't know whether I was dying or safe. But whatever it was, it was good. It was really, really good. It was morphine. I woke up in the children's department wearing diapers and hanging on the IV drip. You know, there is no abortion section in Thai hospitals, right? The nurses had confiscated the rest of my abortion pills, but I still had to take more to complete the whole process safely. They told me that these pills are illegal in Thailand and they wouldn't give them back to me. Me. Hanging on the drip and in diapers only, bleeding like a slaughtered pig in the children's department of the hospital, I was about to give up on life. I cried for the 20th time in two weeks, even though this time I did push it a little, and told them how dangerous it was for me if I didn't take all of the pills, that this process that I started needed to be completed. I read the warnings many times online and was really paranoid about it. One of the nurses eventually had empathy. She gave me back my pills and told me I may never come back to that hospital again. They then called Nimrod, who picked me up on his scooter and brought me home. On the way to his house, I thought to myself that life under no circumstances could get any worse than it was right now. But I didn't realize that the worst pain was yet to come. And that's when I realized you were gone. I had tried to suppress the pain of losing you. Only on three separate occasions something triggered a sense of loss that I couldn't ignore. Once when I found the ultrasound photo of you. Another time when I sat on the beach and just some kids running around me. The third time was when some drunk girls made thoughtless comments about what they'd do if they fell pregnant now. The rest of the time, I was fine. In fact, for some reason, I became more sexual than ever before. I started exploring. I also started squirting a lot more often. A few days later, I moved to a small hut on a hill overlooking the most beautiful and secluded and magical beach I know. I did this to heal. I knew I needed to heal and become happy again. But instead of self-work and healing, a time of love and romance, but also a lot of sex, orgies, LSD, but also cocaine had begun. I felt like life had given me a second chance to explore all the things that I was about to lose. I explored sex in ways that most people will never explore it. And I had beautiful romances. I fell in love, deeply, deeply in love. And I had sex on all types of drugs. 
I remember one time, it was with two guys that I had the gangbang with just a few days earlier. We took a big line of Calvin Klein, Coke and Ketamine, and then we went into the bathtub. And in the bathtub, suddenly I thought I was in ancient Greece with all these people walking around me, bathing themselves. And then one of my friends, he turned into a goddess, and then he started, or she, because they were a goddess now, and started fingering me, and I started squirting, and, you know, experiences like that. But then it went further and further, and I was never really satisfied with anything. The more sex I had, the less satisfied I was. I also realized that one of the reasons why I had the abortion was because I had no money. I did not have a stable job or savings. So I decided to move to London after and make money, focus on money. And I did. But I started with sex work and... As most of you know, that destroyed me completely. Sex became a chore. Sex was disconnected from my soul. My body was disconnected from my soul. It's like my soul left every time I was with a client. And my body was just functioning, just doing what it learned to do. But my soul wasn't there. And then when my soul left... I stopped coming as well. My orgasms disappeared. And all of that while I was completely addicted to cocaine. And I started with the cocaine right after the abortion. You know, I had the intention to work on myself and to heal. But unconsciously, I chose the path that was a little easier. And that was the path of suppression, of numbing, of not doing the actual work. So when I had a complete breakdown because of all the drugs, because of the sex work, because of the destruction, I realized I had to change my life and I did. But it took a whole year after that for me to realize that all of this happened as a result of the abortion. And... To realize this is a lot already. I'm not my own psychologist. I can't tell you exactly what patterns have happened in my brain, in my mind. But it would make sense that I was punishing myself for what I did. If I think about the abortion now, I still cry. But I also know that now the healing process can finally begin. Because now... I have a sober and clear mind and I have understood so much and I have learned so much in those three years. They were also the beginning of Roxy's dream. So a lot of good came out of this in the end. Yeah, I have built that little empire of mine. I have turned all those negative experiences into teachings for others, into something creative something beautiful, something that maybe even makes the world a tiny little bit better. Who knows? Thank you for listening.